One of the most pressing challenges of our generation concerns energy and growing demand for it. It affects almost every aspect of our lives. How we work, how we travel, how we spend our free time, how we design cities, or even how we think about the future of farming. And most of all, it affects our planet. In this podcast, we will talk about the future of energy, what are the biggest challenges for the grid operators, and what are the ideas to meet them that we all, electricity users, will benefit from this. My name is Łukasz Gras and I will be your host for the entire podcast series we called Powering Low Carbon Communities with ABB. Let's start. Antonio Martinez Reina, Global Utility and Renewable Leader at ABB. Hello, Antonio. Hello, good morning. Luis Castro, Head of Energy and Utilities, Osborne Clark in Spain. Hello. Hello, good morning. And Declan Holleran, Managing Director at Quintas Energy. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining me today. And today we will be talking about renewable energy uh, as the only right solution for the future of the earth and people. If that is indeed the case, I will ask you about that in a moment. But at the beginning, let me share with you my impression, because I'm from the generation of smog and smoke from chimneys. I was born in 1976 in a small village in Poland, and for almost all my life, in Polish villages, people were burning coal to heat their houses. And to be honest, unfortunately, not only coal, they also burned rubbish. And it seems to me that in the case of countries like Poland, the first thing we need to change is thinking about the climate, let's say the mindset, and then give people access to technology and money. So my question is, are renewables a real alternative to fossil-based generation? If not, what needs to be changed? Antonio. Well, the case of Poland is um, very interesting because Poland is one of the countries in Europe with the biggest dependency on uh, coal and the production of electricity. But uh, look, we have some other cases the, with a similar uh, climate to Poland, like uh, Denmark, they are taking advantage uh, of the wind energy and they have set as a target to be uh, close to 80% of uh, renewable uh, by 2040. So I believe that similar condition, I mean, if you use the potential of the Baltic Sea is something that uh, uh, should be also feasible for uh, for Poland. So I believe that is uh, possible. I mean, answer your question. My answer is yes. I think that if you sit down and explain the problem to a child, a child will understand and will tell you the right answer. There is no future in burning the ground underneath us. There is a cleaner, better future. And children are extremely good activists and they convince their parents and parents will do what their children think is right for the future. And then if you know that in their heart, the population of a country, any country, have a, have a clear idea, have a clear emotional sensation of what the right thing to do is, politicians will follow. And at that point, it becomes a question of cost because parents listen to their children, but they think about money. And then the final step is if clean energy can cost the same as any other form of energy, people will always go clean. In this sense, the direction, the emotional direction is clear. The economic question 
It's a fair question, but the tendency will always be towards renewable. I really love the example with, with the child. <laughs> What's your experience? What's your impression, Luis? I guess that the, the answer need to be yes. Need to be yes. Renewables is a real alternative to fossil-based generation, but uh, it appears suddenly uh, the phantom of the cost of generating clean energy. In this sense, we need to continue to improve efficiency, lower the cost of producing renewable energy, and increase profitability. We should continue to increase investment in making renewable technologies more cost-efficiency. Grid parity is the magic word here. <laughs> What are the growth projections in this industry? What will get cheaper? How will storage capacity change? And the last one is probably the biggest challenge, isn't it, Declan? Projections uh, remind me of the saying from economists that uh, you should never do forecasts especially forecasts about the future. Uh, when, you, when you talk about projections, depending on who you're talking to, you can see very enthusiastic, very ambitious projections. And, and even if you ask people about the future of cost, they can be ambitious. I, I, I like to ask the question, when is this going to get easier? Because it's not as easy as just wanting it. It's not as easy as just being technically innovative. I think... Um, from my own experience, not just in asset management, but in development, that there are so many roadblocks in front of the real wishes of society to developing this and cooperating better, that in my, my, my mind, the question is not what will get cheaper. Everything is going to get cheaper. Everything. Maybe except for legal fees, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, but everything else is getting cheaper. So when will it get easier? And that's a political question. Everything else will come from the decisions we make politically and socially about what do we want in order to achieve our real goals. Well, definitely. I mean, this is, is a big change in our mindset. I mean, the one the sentence I like uh, very much is what you say, the cheapest uh, kilowatt hours is the one that you don't spend. So mm -hmm. we need to learn also how to save energy. It's not uh, just to say how do we produce cleaner energy, how we produce energy uh, a more efficient way, but how do we consume less energy? This is another challenge that we have ahead of that, of us. Luis, something to add? Uh, I, I would say that, from one hand, growth projections are very high. You know that these uh, growth of projections are really linked to the carbonization targets. Additionally, we need to take into account that over the last years, there has been a large drop in the cost of renewable energies. But please consider that the largest cost reduction are expected to occur in technologies that are under development. And the best example for this is the CSP technology, the concentrated solar power. We'll see a, a really, really, really enormous drop in the, in the cost of producing this type of energy, this technology. But it's clearly key to improve storage capacity. And in this sense, increasing energy storage capacity and is, 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 is the basis for achieving a 100% of renewable energy-based electricity system. 
let's dive deeper into this subject. I mean, the future of renewable energy and the cost. Because now I'm going to ask you a question which may be a great help to those countries like Poland, for example, which have relatively recently joined the EU and are benefiting from many subsidies. We have a boom in photovoltaics. Solar panels are beginning to appear on houses, just satellite dishes used to them. And my question is, what have you learned about the use of renewable energy in the last 10 years? How does the area post-subvention looks like? What happens to all those installations that uh, were implemented just because of the subventions? We owe uh, an enormous debt of gratitude to all of the countries that took the initiative to incentivize renewables into life. When in 2008 I started working in the sector, it could cost from 6 million to 7 million euros per megawatt to get a solar farm functioning. And now it's 10% of that cost. So we owe an enormous debt of gratitude. That created the initial demand that drove innovation, competition. Everything that capitalism is good at, it owed, it, it's, it was, it owed its beginning initially to a government initiative. But everybody who was on that journey wanted as soon as possible to be independent of incentives. Because incentives also often produce perverse consequences. They sometimes begin to produce the opposite of what they want. Now that we're past it, we owe them all of those incentives. Gratitude, but like children leaving home, sometimes it's time to say goodbye and, <laughs> and, and be an adult and stand up on your own two feet. And if you're in the renewable sector, as long as all of us have been, you welcome that, the independence of incentives. And then you look to all of the greater potentials of scale when you're not having your work defined for you entirely by an incentive scheme. Well, no, absolutely, absolutely agree with the comments of uh, Declan. I mean, this initial impulse of the subvention have been absolutely necessary to reach the economy of a scale. That's what's allowed this big re reduction. Now we, we need to go for the next step. And the next step is uh, how can we get the next impulse pools for the uh, energy storage. Uh, how can we recondition or redesign the grid in order that uh, is suitable for renewable? The actual grid is not conceived for renewable. It's conceived for centralized uh, generation of energy. And uh, that's, I, this, I believe, that is one of the challenges that we have now in the European community. How can we work together in order to make our grids much more efficient? I mean, and some of the plans that have been recently approved, a financial plan in the Euro European community, are going in this direction. Declan mentioned um, legislation and, and the law. And in my opinion, new technologies are always ahead of legislation. Yeah. Uh, so my question is, does Europe have the right regulatory frame? What needs to change, Declan? The, the, the question has so many dimensions to it. Uh, does Europe have the right regulatory framework? In fact, d do any of the member states have the right regulatory framework? And even if a single state had the right regulatory framework, does the federal policy agree with the local policy? We see in every single country where we're actively developing, or managing assets that you cannot even perfectly align what happens on the ground with what happens with national policy directions. 
And if it's not even possible to do it in one nation state, then the European framework is aspirational. It's not effective. It's not binding. And so we do not have, in my view, the right current regulatory framework because it doesn't penetrate to the ground level where we need it. I fully agree. So what is the next step in the energy transition? Would it be dominated by the large players like utilities or with the small player, energy communities, private investors and small installation player role? With the actual the regulation frame that we have in the European community compared to the US is still difficult yeah? because, uh, for instance, in many countries not yet allowed, I mean, that the energy producer, imagine you have your own solar power plant, uh, you want to sell to a consumer, uh, this is not yet possible in many countries. Uh, and this is a big uh, barrier in order to, uh, if we want to uh, popularize the, the, the use and, uh, of the energy in a different level. I think in some countries like uh, Switzerland, for instance, or uh, even the US are advanced of the uh, European Union in that sense. And that is something that we need to, uh, to promote, a deregulation in that sense. I, I could say that uh, the next step is is related to regulation. We need to uh, reach a, a near scenario uh, when it's really important to be able to coordinate legislations in the different sectors, because we have a really, really complex uh, legal framework, and we need to coordinate substantive matters with environmental matters uh, uh, with uh, the, the legislation uh, uh, regulating uh, land rights and uh, regulating other matters uh, affected, uh, affecting these, these, these questions. Additionally, I guess that another important matter here is rich flexibility, adapting the regulation to the necessities of the people. That is the, one of the challenges of every day in our work flexibility, understanding the legal framework and trying trying to apply this complex legal framework to every situation arising from the sector. So if you don't know the answer, ask the child. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I would add to that, that the part of our, our problem, if we take the entire sector as a, as a collective, the individual players within the system don't even know their own future and what role they'll play. Traditionally, we used to think about what we call GTS, generation, trade, and supply. Suppliers right now are, are dying every day. The world changed around them in, in no time with no warning, or at least they weren't resilient, but they didn't know that they had to be that resilient. There are some companies that we associate uh, with the word utility, that have no generating capacity at all. They've sold all their generating capacity, so they're, they're not generators anymore, and they're, maybe they're traders but not suppliers. And everybody's role is changing. You know, like the story we have about banks can sell you insurance and car dealers can sell you finance. Everybody's role is changing constantly. And many of us are trying to redefine ourselves in a very changed and increasingly dynamic sector. We don't all know where we're going to be. And even if we find a dominant player in the future, still, it's so atomized, so individualized, 
that there's still a lot of work to be done in tiny sectors that all together will end up redefining us as a collective. Uncertainty is guaranteed for the next 20 years. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the utilities in that clean transformation. Are they keeping up with all those transformation? How they enable electricity users receive the electricity from a green production? I, I think if you talk to any particular utility about their strategies into the future, you will see uh, the same uncertainty that I've referred to earlier. It's, it's a brave new world. And even the role and the importance of the utilities in question. And many of them are going to have to abandon decades of old thinking. Um, management teams and management cultures don't change in such short periods of time. So they may, be, they may suffer in the transition and may not be the most reliable thing for us all to depend on. There's a, there's a world of autonomy that the energy transition creates for non-utility players that must be devastatingly scary to companies. I, mean, I remember a very, very powerful um, issue of The Economist where it referred to how to lose half a trillion euros. And, mm. and it was referring to one of Europe's biggest utilities. Well, they're a fantastic way to lose a lot of money if they get this thing wrong. Uh, and, and, and around them, they would see the energy transition empowering what they would consider to be scavengers, people eating their markets, people producing their own energy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how awful that would be? People producing their own energy and consuming it close to where they, they, they live. And so I, I see utilities as being uh, nervous. One or two of them are showing real pioneering ability, but they must be looking around them right now thinking, how, how does our business model function when the energy transition accelerates? For many of those utility, the future is not clear. They even do not know which role are they going to play in the in the close future. I mean, in 10 years from now. And look, I take some example. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the utility were responsible for all the from the production generation to the uh, customer supply, including the transmission. Uh, this is practically not longer valid in, in most of the countries in, in Europe and uh, also in the, in the US. So we have a deregulated market. There are extreme cases like uh, we have, for instance, in Germany, where uh, you have two of the biggest utilities, Aon and RWE, have been changing not only the assets, but also the role. One is the taking care of the distribution, while the other is concentrating all the generation assets. And this is a big change in the mindset because they need to reinvent themselves. Uh, suddenly, they got all the coal power plant, not to do what, uh, <laughs> they don't know what to do with the, all of this. And they need to reinvent the future in the, in the renewable. I mean, this is a huge uh, challenge for all the utilities around the world, I mean, how to do, reinvent themselves. Luis? Recently, I, I attended to an event in London in relation to this question, and uh, I had the opportunity to speak with a representative of the, an important uh, German utility talking about this matter. And he, good, uh, uh, he, he highlighted the importance of uh, their role as a promoter of the investment in, in the grid. The necessity of grid uh, is clear in the future. So 
please, uh, uh, let's consider the important role of utilities in the future in relation to the investment in, in, into the grid. But additionally, it's clear that utilities has take the train of renewables because uh, all the <laughs> utilities across Europe are flagging uh, constantly uh, the importance of renewables. So for them is really challenging. A landscape dominated by small and medium-sized energy producer as well as uh, cell consumer and energy communities. And, and I guess that they are taking advantage of this huge opportunity of the European Green Deal, taking the, the ticket of the train of the future together with the rest of the players in the market, uh, assuming the, the renewable model. At the end, I want to touch a very sensitive topic because I look carefully at these developing worlds of renewable energy and I ask myself one question, one important question. Which of these sources is the best, the greenest? What will be the best renewable energy source? And what will energy be like in 2030, let's say, or 2050? What do you think, Declan? Well, uh, I, I like solar. Uh, would be a leading candidate for the best energy source. In many occasions, uh, over the last few years, it has proven to be the lowest cost of uh, energy coming into the market. It's extremely easy to deploy once you've got past the development phase, and it's extremely easy to disassemble and return the land that it's using to its original condition. If it has one significant disadvantage, it's the low capacity that it has. It only produces, as we, as we know, sadly, uh, in, in daylight hours. So its low capacity uh, is, is a concern. But I would then say, necessarily, that combinations of solar with storage, combinations of solar and storage with wind, the aggregation of different forms of, of generation begins then to seem very attractive, very sensible. And I, I think it's solar in combination with storage and, and some onshore wind, and then, of course, the high capacity of offshore wind. These are very important sources of electricity for our future. And I, I think that's where all of us would be looking. And, and we, we might add as well um, Luis's comment on concentrated solar power, which is an, an enhancement of, of, that, of that same source. And, and maybe other contributions will be relatively minor, but, but welcome. But I, I would say led by those um, significant uh, uh, contributors, solar, uh, wind, and complemented by storage. What's your opinion, Luis? I, I would add eventually add only uh, two questions. First, it's not in principle uh, uh, to give an absolute answer in relation to the dominant uh, or best renewable energy source of the future, but I guess that we need to provide additionally uh, additional questions in relation to a combination of factors like natural factors, the, the climate is important, and uh, mm, environmental factors, uh, because perhaps rooftop solar panels are less intrusive than wind turbines in uh, certain landscapes. <laughs> and we need to be really, really sensitive with these questions, especially when we need to dialogue, to start a dialogue with the communities. <laughs> we, we need to share views in order to request them this 
change of mindset, but providing them with the analysis and the answers of the incentives and benefits to get from these huge developments. I want to add only one thing to that, and I believe that we need all of them for a very simple reason. I mean, we cannot foresee when the, the wind is blowing. We cannot foresee what will the, the weather will look like. So we will need both. And for instance, I mean, uh, uh, we don't have uh, solar energy during the night. At least we are able to storage that. Um, but the, the, the wind can keep blowing. That is why we need to balance both. And additionally, I will add uh, um, the hydro. The hydro, I see hydro as a big potential also to uh, as energy storage. I mean, if we have a strong grid, and uh, we are producing a lot, we have over um, capacity in the, in the solar network, why not using, I mean, the potential that we have in the Scandinavian country in some pump station yeah, to, uh, as energy storage? Uh, so this is something that we also need to consider as, a, as an opportunity. So. I, I think that's the mixture of the balance of all of them to, is what we need to, to aim. Thank you, gentlemen. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. And after our conversation, I know much more, and I have no doubt that renewable energy sources are must be in, in the 21st century. And I hope our listeners, if they still had doubts, uh, have now got rid of them. Uh, we received a lot of knowledge and inspiration. Thank you for it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. And I keep my finger crossed for you uh, for your fight to stop climate change. Mm -hmm.